earlier today I responded to a tweet from uh, Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo was talking about the uh, kidnappings in Haiti of 17 Americans and one Canadian. A few weeks before, there were five Catholic priests and a number of nuns, I, I believe the number of nuns was uh, seven, uh, who were also kidnapped by the same gang. The gang calls itself the 400 Mowozo. So I have no idea exactly what exactly the gang's goals are. So far they appear to be a uh, politically motivated gang that is linked to criminal activity around the capital of Port-au-Prince in Haiti. The 400 Mawozo gang uh, has known mostly to target religious groups for kidnapping, which is kind of strange for criminal gangs. But however, I guess in a country where there is so much aid going around, that they are specifically targeting Christian aid ministries. Uh, and typically after the kidnapping, the gang makes a demand for ransom. The largest amount they have demanded was uh, $1 million for the release of Catholic missionaries. The gang's name loosely translates uh, from the Creole, which means 400 simpletons or untrained men. Although the kidnappings have been their uh, trade and basically uh, their, their territory that they control, it is led by a man allegedly called Wilson Joseph, goes by the nickname of La Mo which means death doesn't know which day it's coming. He enjoys uh, flaunting his arrest warrant that is against him by posting videos detailing the group's crimes. The video's second in command was a Yoli Yonyon Hermin, who is currently being incarcerated. Now, that is pretty much what you can find on the web about the gang and what it does. But the reporting pretty much on it has been rather slow and few and far between. There are reports that as much as $17 million have been demanded for it. And the uh, efforts to uh, get the uh, members of the uh, missionaries released, these Ohio missionaries, is still something that is being worked out. There are, uh, you know, people with signs in Port-au-Prince going around the areas near where the gang operates and demanding that the kidnappers release the missionaries unharmed. And uh, this is basically a warning from the group that they worry that the next thing that will happen is that there could be some kind of U.S. military unilateral action. So far, the White House has not said that anything of this nature is coming. And in fact, it is probably unlikely, but is still a possibility that this could happen. Now, the group uh, has seized children in this. The youngest is eight months old. The oldest is 15. The group is known to rape its victims, to post videos of those rapes in order to get family members and others uh, who are close to the group they are holding to release funds that they are demanding. Uh, the Ohio-based Christian Aid Ministries uh, said it would hold a day of fasting and prayer for its missionaries. And that was on Thursday. As to what the status of it is as of this time, while the FBI and other U.S. agencies are coordinating U.S. government efforts, 
to free the missionaries. The White House Press Secretary, uh, Jen Paskey, said that officials from Haiti, the U.S., and the church group are silent about what they call sensitive details. The wave of kidnapping of other missionaries and aid workers in Haiti is something that is growing on a daily basis. There's a lot that's going on, and a lot that's probably not being talked about, and obviously for obvious reasons. Haitian officials say they were not authorized to speak to the press, and they are not talking about this. They are extremely worried about the U.S. reaction. Haiti's been a, a basically nightmare state uh, ever since the 7.2 Richter scale earthquake that struck the uh, southern western portion of Haiti on August 14th, and things that were only getting worse. Let's listen to some of the statements, first from Jen Paskey, and then from Haitian officials in the two different press conferences that came out on this topic. Haiti, yeah. uh, Jen, quickly. Uh, there are reports that the gang that kidnapped the 17 American and Canadian missionaries is asking for $17 million for their release, a million dollars per person. What is the administration's response to that, particularly in light of the policy that the U.S. does not negotiate with those holding hostages? Well, that remains our policy, and I can't get into too many details operationally here because that's never has never been in the interest of bringing people home who are being uh, held for ransom. Um, what I can reiterate, Kristen, is that um, the FBI is a part of a coordinated U.S. government effort to get the U.S. citizens involved to safety. Uh, also that the U.S. Embassy in Port-au-Prince is coordinating with local authorities and providing assistance to the families to resolve the situation. I'd also note that uh, we've had a travel advisory for Haiti, uh, which is at a level four, uh, conveying do not travel due to kidnapping, crime, civil unrest, and of course COVID-19. But kidnapping is widespread and victims regularly include U.S. citizens. We know these groups target U.S. citizens uh, who they assume have the uh, resources and finances to pay ransoms, even if that is not the case. So uh, that is also something that is, remains a concern to us, but I can't get into more operational details. Tom Hart, he's president of the Canadian Critical Incident Incorporated. Tom, thank you for your time tonight. I appreciate it. No problem. My pleasure. Uh, let's talk about the situation in Haiti, first of all, and how the, these missionaries found themselves in this situation. It is a dangerous and terrible place right now for anyone at this point. Uh, why do you think this happened? How did this happen? Well, how it, why? It's obviously the, uh, the, the people are highly organized or reasonably organized and uh, what we described as instrumental type criminal. So they're, they're high, very high risk. Uh, the hostages are, are at great risk. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, ideally you want to start negotiating, get a clear line of communication, whether it be landline or cell phone or otherwise. Determine who's the leader of this, this gang. Uh, and then what is their, what is their, uh, what is their demands? Uh, they want a million dollars, I understand. It's fine. Uh, when you get a demand from hostage takers, that's not a bad thing. Actually, that's a good thing. And so you can start working with that. You want to start developing a rapport with the, uh, the leader. Uh, and, and time is a big issue. Mm -hmm. The longer you can keep them on the phone, keep negotiating, even if say, they want a million dollars. Well, the negotiating team will, will, will pass that information on to the incident command team, and the command team will make that determination whether they're willing to, to, to provide that demand. But in the meantime, let's get back to discussion. How would that be delivered? What type of currency? All these other these these uh, pieces of interesting conversation are important to to develop that rapport. Another thing to keep in mind is that the the 
activists, the, the, the people who have taken these, these kids hostage, they need the negotiating team in order to get their money. So that's an advantage for the negotiating team and the incident command team to, to follow through. The longer they talk to them, the greater the rapport they're making with the leaders. And it also gives a great opportunity if they choose to do a tactical option, which is most likely, they have time to rehearse, mm -hmm. time to prepare. A million dollars per hostage, that's $17 million this group is looking for. One of those is a Canadian. Would the government be involved? And what about the issue of paying a ransom? Well, that's, that's, that's up to the government. Uh, I, I can speak uh, on, on the fundamentals of crisis negotiating. I've, I've done a lot of negotiating over the years. Uh, it's, it's getting back to the demands and working through those demands, whether it be a million dollars that the government is prepared to spend. That's, that's, a, that's a command decision. And as a negotiating team, you don't get really involved in that. You just do the, you do work the details out mm -hmm. and how that would be delivered if, the, if they choose to, to pay that amount. But precedent shows the government has always maintained it doesn't pay ransom, but private individuals could come up with the money. Is that right? Th that's quite possible. Uh, you know, and I respect the government's decision. Uh, the RCMP, if they're involved in the negotiations, they're a great team, uh, highly professional, highly qualified uh, negotiating team. Uh, the incident command team, I can't speak for the Haitian government down there, but uh, uh, certainly if this was taking place in Canada, particularly in Ontario, yeah. uh, they, they wouldn't be negotiating uh, for that amount of money, for sure. There are children involved, a baby, toddlers. Uh, how does that change the dynamic, Tom? Well, that makes it more high risk. What I would be looking at is, is talking to the leaders, or the leader, and finding out, uh, in, and, and the parallel to that would be the, the investigative team would be getting a list of the people in there, what are the names, and then start identifying names with, 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 with the hostage taker. Uh, and looking at, at some kind of reasoning with these individuals, uh, if, if harm would come to the hostages, then that loses out in any potential payment. The hostages are, are a valuable asset to the hostage taker at this moment, and you work on that. I'm almost out of time, but what yes. is the the likelihood of a good outcome here? Are there percentages? How would you see this unfolding? I, I can't speak to that. What I can speak to is not so long ago, New South Wales had a, a terrorist tech, uh, attack, and uh, the hostages were 17 people taken hostage for 16 hours. The New South Wales negotiating team did a remarkable job, and that gave the tactical team enough time to do a rehearse and prepare for a dynamic rescue. And they did a remarkable hostage rescue, saving 15 of the 17 people. I think there's a high success rate, depending on the tactical team and the incident command team. Essentially, essentially, the Haitian government is practically unable to issue statements while they are awaiting results of negotiations to try to release the hostages. That is what they're primarily saying. Police officers and other security forces in Haiti have remarked they are worried about the situation and what could happen to the victims. 50 people were kidnapped just a few days before, a total of 380 so far this year. And the situation is not seen as getting any better. In a statement, Haitian government authorities have said they are unable to issue comments at this time as their paramount issue is trying to release the aid workers who've been kidnapped and other foreigners, including other Americans who have been targeted. 
noting that the missionaries are not the first ones to be kidnapped this year. Earlier today, I responded to a tweet from uh, Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo was talking about the uh, kidnappings in Haiti of 17 Americans and one Canadian. A few weeks before, there were five Catholic priests and a number of nuns, I, I believe the number of nuns was uh, seven, uh, who were also kidnapped by the same gang. The gang calls itself the 400 Mowozo. So I have no idea exactly what exactly the gang's goals are. So far, they appear to be a uh, politically motivated gang that is linked to criminal activity around the capital of Port-au-Prince in Haiti. The 400 Morozo gang uh, has known mostly to target religious groups for kidnapping, which is kind of strange for criminal gangs. But however, I guess in a country where there is so much aid going around, that they are specifically targeting Christian aid ministries. Uh, and typically after the kidnapping, the gang makes a demand for ransom. The largest amount they have demanded was uh, $1 million for the release of Catholic missionaries. The gang's name loosely translates uh, from the Creole, which means 400 simpletons or untrained men. Although the kidnappings have been their uh, trade and basically uh, their, their territory that they control, it is led by a man allegedly called Wilson Joseph, goes by the nickname of La Mo which means death doesn't know which day it's coming. He enjoys uh, flaunting his arrest warrant that is against him by posting videos detailing the group's crimes. The video's second in command was a Yoli Yonyon Hermin, who is currently being incarcerated. Now, that is pretty much what you can find on the web about the gang and what it does. But the reporting pretty much on it has been rather slow and few and far between. There are reports that as much as $17 million have been demanded for it and the uh, efforts to uh, get the uh, members of the uh, missionaries released, these Ohio missionaries, is still something that is being worked out. There are, uh, you know, people with signs in Port-au-Prince going around the areas near where the gang operates and demanding that the kidnappers release the missionaries unharmed. And uh, this is basically a warning from the group that they worry that the next thing that will happen is that there could be some kind of U.S. military unilateral action. So far, the White House has not said that anything of this nature is coming. And in fact, it is probably unlikely, but is still a possibility that this could happen. Now, the group uh, has seized children in this. The youngest is eight months old. The oldest is 15. The group is known to rape its victims, to post videos of those rapes in order to get family members and others uh, who are close to the group they are helping to release funds that they are demanding. 
uh, the Ohio-based Christian Aid Ministries uh, said it would hold a day of fasting and prayer for its missionaries. And that was on Thursday. As to what the status of it is as of this time, while the FBI and other U.S. agencies are coordinating U.S. government efforts to free the missionaries, the White House Press Secretary, uh, Jen Paskey, said that officials from Haiti, the U.S., and the church group are silent about what they call sensitive details. The wave of kidnapping of other missionaries and aid workers in Haiti is something that is growing on a daily basis. There's a lot that's going on, and a lot that's probably not being talked about, and obviously for obvious reasons. Haitian officials say they were not authorized to speak to the press, and they are not talking about this. They are extremely worried about the U.S. reaction. Haiti's been a, a basically nightmare state uh, ever since the 7.2 Richter scale earthquake that struck the uh, southern western portion of Haiti on August 14th, and things are only getting worse. Let's listen to some of the statements, first from Jen Paskey and then from Haitian officials in the two different press conferences that came out on this topic. I'm Ben Carlisle, and I'm running for mayor of Buffalo. My wife and I have been able to live out the American dream right here in Buffalo. I'm running for mayor to make sure that the American dream remains tangible here in Buffalo for anyone who's willing to put in the effort. For some people, the American dream is handed to them on a silver platter, but for the rest of us, it takes hard work to realize the American dream. I learned about hard work from my parents. With six brothers and sisters, we always live paycheck to paycheck, but I never felt poor. Anytime we needed extra money, my dad would take a second job working nights, and my mom always had a job. My parents provided us with the necessities, but beyond the necessities, we had to work for it. I got my first job when I was nine years old delivering newspapers. I'd get up at 5.30 every morning and put in a few hours of work before most of my classmates rolled out of bed. When I was 14, I got a job working on a farm picking watermelons and cantaloupes in 100 degree heat for $4.50 an hour. I put myself through college working 40 plus hours a week, and I took out massive student loans for college and law school that I'm still working to pay off. Nothing was ever handed to me, but I have found that if you work hard, the sky's the limit in Buffalo. My wife Azima is living proof of this promise. Azima grew up in India. She and her family immigrated to the United States in 2002. They left India thinking that they had permanently left behind government corruption and socialism. In India, the smallest cooperation from the government requires a bribe, and because of socialism, Big Brother has invaded nearly every segment of India. Deadly violence erupted in Azima's home state, her senior year of high school between Hindus and Muslims. A strict curfew was imposed that closed nearly everything. Azima and her classmates had to finish their final examinations under police supervision. Azima and her family were able to escape the violence and made it to the U.S. just before Azima's 18th birthday. When she and her family arrived, they had nothing. They had to live with family for the first year in order to get their feet on the ground. Azima didn't waste one second of that first year. When she got to Buffalo, she immediately got a job and enrolled in community college. She then put herself through college and med school, and now she's a fellowship-trained ER doctor. According to India Walton, the socialist who wants to be our mayor, it is impossible for a poor, brown, Muslim immigrant to get ahead in Buffalo without massive governmental intervention. But that is a lie. What it takes is a dream and hard work. Azima and her family love Buffalo. They find it to be a very welcoming place where anything is possible through hard work. 
I couldn't agree with them more. Buffalo is a special place and it's worth fighting for. If you believe the American dream is still worth fighting for, come fight this fight with me. I'm not running as a Republican or a Democrat, just a concerned but hopeful Buffalonian. Better days are here. I'm Ben Carlisle, write-in candidate for mayor of Buffalo.